Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Thinking about beginning a new series this morning, I thought about a different variety of ways I could go. I thought about different things that I could preach and teach to you. And one thing kept coming back to me, and something that we've studied a few years back, but I thought more than ever we need to revisit it now. And I'm talking about spiritual warfare. I'm talking about we as Christians standing strong in our convictions, that we not allow this world to dictate who we are, what we are, and what we do. Because there's only one person that I know can do that in my life, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. So, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare for the next 12 weeks. I know that sounds like a long time, but just to give you perspective for those of you who love Christmas... That's going to take us two weeks before Christmas, so Merry Christmas early. But if you guys have ever attended Vacation Bible School as a child, and I'm talking to some of us older folks, um, you may recall marching into the church building to the tune of Onward Christian Soldiers. Have you ever considered the meaning of that hymn? Have you ever considered the meaning of that hymn? Some of the lyrics state, Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. And also at the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee. On then Christian soldiers on to victory. The hymn speaks of battle with Satan and his demons. But how many believers realize the unseen war that's being fought around them? How many believe and acknowledge that there are that there really is a war? How many of us acknowledge that? And among those who do have some degree of spiritual understanding, how many know that they're actually equipped with many of the weapons to send the devil running? Ed Silvoso states this, The church in the West today presents too easy of a target for Satan. We do not believe we are at war. We do not know where the battleground is located. And in spite of our weapons, they are neither loaded nor aimed at the right target. We are unaware of how vulnerable we really are. We must believe that the devil is real. And we must 
understand that we're in the middle of an all-out war. Otherwise, we'll be unprepared to fight. And this morning's message is intended to bring an awareness of the unseen war that's all around us and to reveal our weapons and equipment with which we can engage in the spiritual battle and also to defend ourselves against our spiritual enemy. Are we ready? The Bible doesn't directly use the term spiritual warfare. However, it's likely derived from the book of Psalm. You see, David declared, He teaches my hands to make war, so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You also have given me the shield of your salvation. And I know you can already tell where I'm going. Yeah, we're going to go back a couple months. We're going to go back to VBS for a second. We're going to talk about the armor of God just for a minute. Because I think it's vital to understand completely. And we cannot hear this enough. That we need to be engaging in this war. That we have the tools to engage this battle. And not only engage but to allow Christ to receive the victory. The Lord prepares us for war because there is a war to be fought. Make no mistake. There is a war that needs to be fought. And Paul described this conflict, and I'm going to talk about that just right here. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. If you haven't turned there already, turn to Ephesians 6. It's all laid out there. We're going to be in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 this morning. David's brother most likely had an attitude because he was passed over. And David was anointed to be king by Samuel. Thus without knowing his father, had sent David, he accused him of false motives. It is often those who should be supporting you are the ones that are actually disparaging you. They question your calling, and they may, may even stab you in the back and discourage you from fulfilling your calling. Think of it this way. Maybe you're in some neighborhood and you decide that you want to attend a church. And so you get to this Baptist church and a man opens the door and he stands out there and he stands there looking at you, pretending that he is the only church in the world. That his way is the only way. That his answer is the answer to everything. 
And it turns you off to that church. It turns you off to the truth. It turns you off to the ability to accept God and what He stands for. And then you go to another church that doesn't preach the gospel at all. Has no biblical concept of what is truth. And they welcome you with open arms. And they tell you, we love you. We want you here. We want you to be a part of us. They bring you in. They serve you a nice cold iced tea and let you know that they're happy that you're out there trying. It is quite the reversal of how it should be. Amen. But this is reality. This is reality. Sometimes when we think about this, we think about how individuals in the ministry are being called to a particular ministry. And you always have a mentor, and that mentor is training that individual. But the perception becomes that that individual who's being trained is looking to take over or push out the other individual. Sometimes it's jealousy or fear that causes it. The pastor that ordained that other person might think that it's his position is being pulled out from in front of him. And this young individual comes in and, and uh, starts doing things his own way. Not bad. But it's different, right? It's different. But the perception of the people around is saying, how in the world can that person do that to that person? We live in a world where perception seems to be everything. What is the common perception of a Christian in a godless world? We've all seen it. We've seen it in movies. We've seen it in TV. We've seen it in the news sources. We are under attack. And they are relentless. They are relentless. Because the people do not understand the call to do something, they want to shut it down. They don't understand what is actually going on. And so they ask that person, are you trying to destroy the church that I've been a part of for all these years or ministry for all these years when they don't even know the individual when they don't even understand the whole concept of what God is actually preparing kings can be represented as the powers that be anyone who has sought a pastoral or other place of ministry knows you have to face, especially in our church, you have to face the deacons and the pulpit committee. Deacons, bear with me for a second. I never understood 
why the University of Duke were called the Demon Deacons. Come to one of our deacons meetings. Just kidding. No. But there are places where some of them have these qualifications that can be named as a demon deacon. Often it's like a Goldilocks and the Three Bears story. You are too young. You're too old. You're too bold. You're not bold enough. You went to the wrong college. Not enough college. Too much college. You're reading from the wrong version of the Bible. You're too separated. You're not separated enough. You're too deep. You're too shallow. You're too fat. You're too skinny. Trying to find that right position from a human perspective can be very harrowing and seem to be an impossible task. It is no wonder so many pastors and ministers and leaders of ministries quit. Because even after you find what you believe is the place God wants you to be, there are still folks who will criticize everything you do, telling you that you are not the man or woman and you cannot do the job. Many people are frozen in their ministry or fear to enter into one because the devil will tell them that it is a joke to think that God can use them. They look at the Goldilocks and the good old boy system and believe that stuff they are told about themselves is really true. They fail to see that it is the devil using the bias and less than mature understanding of Scripture to keep them from ministry and keep them from finding the best man or woman for that particular position. But the devil will also speak fear. He will speak failure. Doubt and despair. He will speak them into your life. We must not listen. We must not listen. Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So no matter what opposition we might face or failure, you are called and you are gifted for the call. Step out in your calling in faith and you will find the anointing and power to fulfill that calling. My favorite Bible story growing up and still is David and Goliath. David and Goliath. And I've heard the story told a million times and in a million different ways. And from a million different perspectives. Each one of them has added to my understanding of the story. And I'm appreciative of those teachers who took the time to do that for me. The phrase goes this, get the stones to face your giant. When you are down, look for the stones you need. Then rise up in the name of the Lord and fling that sling and drop that thing that is blocking your blessing. Victory is assured 
in the Lord. David's aim may have been that accurate. That's very possible. Or an angel changed the trajectory and speed of those stones. But it was his faith and stand for God that killed Goliath before he even picked up the stone. Paul alerted believers concerning the war that rages unseen. And on this battleground, Satan is the general of the opposing forces. Peter warned believers, your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And Paul cautioned young Timothy to be careful so that he does not fall into reproach and into the snare of the devil. This spiritual war is fought in the battlefield of the mind. In the battlefield of the mind. The devil attacks the mind and heart, which are synonymous in biblical meaning. Uh, The New Bible Dictionary says the word mind is perhaps the closest modern term to the biblical usage of the word heart. Heart and mind. I did that backwards. Heart and mind. I do that from time to time. Synonymous. Heart and mind. What's in your mind is in your heart. What's in your heart is in your mind. The spiritual war is fought in the battlefield of our minds. When Judas betrayed Jesus, it was because the devil deceived his heart. John said the devil already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And Peter advised believers, therefore gird up the loins of your mind. And Paul admonished, admonished, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The battleground is indeed within the mind and in the heart. And the devil works to deceive by his lies and his schemes. Jesus said of the devil, there is no truth in him. The the, the word wiles in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 can also be translated as schemes. And Paul once spoke of the importance of forgiving others. We covered that a couple weeks ago. We forgive others so that Satan will not outsmart us. For we are very familiar with his evil schemes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The war being waged here is within the mind and the heart. Therefore, it doesn't involve physical conflict, but a spiritual conflict. And for this reason, We're provided spiritual weapons in which we defend ourselves. Paul stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And in our main text, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul said that within the armor of God are contained weapons for spiritual warfare. And if we want to be successful in our ministry efforts and be able to withstand the attacks and schemes of the devil, then we need to gear up and wear the entire suit of armor. When you think of a suit of armor, is it light or heavy? So wearing the armor of God, is it easy or difficult? But each and every one of us is called to do so. Because God can take that weight off of us. We trust in God. Paul derived his imagery of this armor of God from an Old Testament prophecy of the Messiah. And examining this prophecy is a good starting point in identifying the believer's spiritual weapons. Isaiah declared, Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. I know the kids that are left in here could probably come up here and quote this for you. But when the Messiah came to bring justice and salvation on earth, he prepared for spiritual battle by putting on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Jesus set an example for believers to follow. Therefore, if we want to survive and we want to thrive during the heat of battle, then we need to be like Jesus and suit up. If you felt it was necessary to wear the armor of God, then what does that say about how much we need it? Paul said we do not wrestle against flesh and blood or against individual people, but against principalities and powers. Principalities and powers are the visible structures and institutions of society, like a moral code or a political ideology or uh, nationality. And how these institutions appear as being controlled by a human influence. But on the contrary, they're actually manipulated by spiritual forces. Jesus clad himself in the armor of God because he entered a highly political scene. 
Palestine was under Roman occupation, and the scribes and Pharisees, who were power-hungry, dominated the religion of Judaism. Jesus was under constant attack by the institutions of his society. We, as Christians, are under attack by the institutions of our society. Believers today live in a time when traditional beliefs and values are under attack from Satan. And these attacks manifest themselves within the institutional realms of religion and politics. Amen? Amen. But they are disguised by language such as alternative lifestyle and pro-choice. The devil is working within the minds and hearts of leaders, destroying the very fabric of national morality. Therefore, it is imperative for believers to put on the armor of God in order to guard against being deceived by the lies of the enemy. So what did I say we need to do? We need to suit up for battle. We are soldiers in God's army. Paul said, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. So as a soldier of the Lord, we have weapons at our disposal here. And they're especially tailored for spiritual battle. And again, Paul lists those weapons in verses 13 through 17. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The imagery of this text is based on the armor of the Roman soldier. Paul went into great detail explaining each specific part. Each piece of the armor represents different areas of spiritual preparation that will aid in our fight against those principalities and powers. The belt of truth in verse 14 pictures the large leather belt the Roman soldier wore and it held other weapons and kept his outer garments in place. To put on the belt of truth can be understood as accepting the truth of the Bible and choosing to follow it with integrity. There is a word that is not thrown around very often anymore in our society, and that is integrity. We must belt ourselves in truth. And keep lies from getting in our way during spiritual warfare. Let us not be deceived by any spiritual Trojan horse, if you will. 
the breastplate of righteousness, pictures the metal armor in the shape of a human torso common to the Roman uniform. To put on the breastplate can be understood as choosing not to harbor and nurture known sin. It is striving to be like Christ and living according to his ways of righteousness. Harboring a known sin will cause it to smolder within our hearts. And it could eventually ignite until we're completely consumed by iniquity. The shoes of the gospel of peace. The f- we are fitted with readiness or preparation. And in the pictures of the hobnailed shoes which kept the soldier's footing sure in battle. Our kids have cleats. But very similar. These shoes could be understood as believing in the promises of God and counting on them to be true for all of us. We have sure footing when we stand on the firm foundation of God's promises. And these promises provide us with peace and help us rely upon the Lord for our strength. The shield of faith. Picture the small round shield the Roman soldier used to deflect the bows and the blows from the enemy. Whether it be arrow or sword or even a spear. But the shield was often made of leather and sometimes soaked with water. When flaming arrows hit the shield, the arrows would be stopped and the flame extinguished. Verse 12, to take up this shield can be misunderstood as rejecting temptations to doubt, sin, or even quit. And telling ourselves the truth and choosing on the basis of the truth to do the right thing. The helmet of salvation pictures the Roman soldier's metal protective headgear. And it does not refer to our salvation in Christ. First Thessalonians speaks of the helmet of the hope of salvation. That being the case, taking the helmet of salvation could be understood as resting our hope in the future and living in this world according to the value system of the next. Living according to the value system of the next kingdom is sure to make the world take notice. Amen? Amen. We should think about where our value system currently lies. If people can't tell believers apart from unbelievers, then some need to repent and seek to become more like Christ. The sword of the Spirit is that weapon sheathed to that soldier's belt and used both for offensive and defensive purposes. Taking the sword of the Spirit, defined for us as the Word of God, can be understood as using Scripture specifically in life situations to fend off attacks of the enemy and put him to flight. 
In Hebrews 4.12, we read, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. A soldier practiced constant weapon drills with his two-edged sword. What can be taken from this information is that a constant weapon drill may make us experts in our trade. Just as it did the Roman soldier. We are practicing spiritual weapon drills as we continually study the Word of God. Have you ever heard of someone who fervently prays being called a prayer warrior? What is a prayer warrior? I'll tell you what it is. It's prayer warfare. Prayer warfare. Stating how prayer advances against Satan's strongholds and dislodges and dispels his demon forces. Prayer is powerful in withstanding the enemy. And Paul emphasized that in a vital part of our arsenal in verses 18 through 20 when he said, Praying always was all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Donald Whitney expresses that the Lord expects us to pray just as a general expects to hear from his soldiers in the battle. One writer reminds us that prayer is a walkie-talkie for warfare, not a domestic intercom for increasing our conveniences. He continues to state to abandon prayer is to fight the battle with our own resources instead of God's. We know that this will get us nowhere. Paul set forth an example of how believers are to pray. He said to pray for words to speak, to pray for boldness, pray for an ability to explain the gospel. Paul expressed a lack of confidence in his public speaking. However, he believed that through prayer, the Lord would enable him with boldness. And he had faith that God would teach him exactly what to say. Having said all of that, I wonder if there are people here today, this morning, and you've given up on yourself. Maybe you feel isolated, alone out of step, off the wall. You just don't think you're ever going to lead 
a normal life. Too many things have happened. Too many mistakes have been made. Too much water over the dam. Maybe you feel like a lion in a den of Daniels. Everybody else has their life together except you. In other words, you're a mess. That's okay. Understand, that's okay. But when we put our trust in God, He makes those messes into victories. And so I ask you, isn't there at least a little faith somewhere within you? Is there a little bit of faith somewhere? Who has sustained your life thus far? If there is anything at all in your life that is positive, if there are any successes, any friends, any assets, who gave them to you? If you have come here this morning, why did you come? Surely not to hear yourself condemned to a hopeless hell of hatred and failure. No. You came hoping that somebody would say something that would give you a little support. A shred of hope. You came with just a little bit of faith. So I say this. Take courage. Take courage. It is going to work. Do you hear me? It's going to work. It will happen. You may not believe in yourself, but call upon the name of Jesus. Amen. And you'll find that just a little faith and call out to Jesus. When you find yourself put down and shut out and feel that you are like a lion in a den of Daniels, faith will give you a victory. Faith will give you a victory. So do we feel like we're now somewhat prepared for spiritual battle? Do you feel energized and ready to take a stand for Jesus Christ? I don't see eyes closed, and so we're, I think we're good. I think you're hearing me. But if we're not, then perhaps after hearing a very moving letter, we'll be inspired to do battle for the glory of the Lord. Listen closely to this following correspondence. It says this, and this was a, just a preface, this, this is a missionary in the jungles of New Guinea. And he wrote to his friends back home. He says, man, it is great to be in the thick of the fight. To draw the old devil's heaviest guns. To have him at you with depression and discouragement, slander, disease. Wow, that's encouraging. He doesn't waste time on a lukewarm bunch. He hits good and hard when a fellow is hitting him. You can always measure the weight of your blow by the one you get back. When you're on your back with fever, 
and your last ounce of strength, when some of your converts backslide, when you learn that your most promising inquirers are only fooling, when your mail gets held up, and some don't bother to answer your letters, is that the time to put on mourning? No, sir. That's the time to pull out the stops and shout hallelujah. The old fella's getting it in the neck and hitting back. Heaven is leaning over the battlements and watching. Will he stick with it? And as they see who is with us, as they see the unlimited reserves, the boundless resources, and they see the impossibility of failure, how disgusted and sad they must be when we run away. Glory to God. Amen. We're not going to run away. We're going to stand. Yes. Maybe after hearing this letter, we might think, man, this guy is crazy. Then again, we might say, here's a man who's on fire for the Lord. Are we excited to be a soldier for Christ. We should be. Because if we're wearing the armor of God, then Satan will flee. James said in James 4, 7, Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This morning, if you are a born-again believer in Christ and you're having trouble experiencing this victory, or if you're compromising somewhere in your faith, then I want you to I want you to stand strong. I want you to stand strong and upright in the armor of God. The Lord wants you to put on truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and the hope of salvation. He also wants you to become sharpened in the Word of God and to train yourself in prayer so that you'll be ready to proclaim His praises. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then I urge you this morning not to dodge the draft, but boldly enlist in the army of God and inherit eternal life in his kingdom. Confess Jesus Christ as Savior, and you'll be forgiven of your sins and assured of your salvation. Amen? Amen. Dave, come. Thanks, Pastor. question for all of us to maybe make time this week to just... Pray over, if we would, please. Let's stand together as we close.
has died to set me free. I am satisfied. I am satisfied. I am satisfied with Jesus. But the question comes to me. As I think of Calvary, is my master satisfied? Thank you. Before we leave this morning, Lisa asked if she can come and share something that happened today in Sunday school. I shouldn't have done that last night, getting things ready for Sunday school. Some things happened. If you want to know the whole story, come tell me. Come, come and see me and I'll tell you. The book will be out next week. <laughs> but anyway, so I come to Sunday school and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to do Sunday school. Hold on, bring your mic so I can hear you. I'm just going to do Sunday school and then I'm, I'm, I'm going to go home. And I even mentioned this to Rebecca and she goes, well, Mom. Should we take two cars? Because I want to stay for church. I came to Sunday school. Wasn't feeling very good. I was very tired. Aiden gave me this note. And it put an envelope and it said, Dear Miss Lisa, thank you for all that you teach me. I am grateful, Aiden. I am grateful, so grateful for these kids because, you know, sometimes you think you're not doing a good job and yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. And then something like this happens. And Aiden's dad, thank you so much because you and your wife are doing such a great job in teaching your children to be thankful and grateful. And I really appreciate that. And that's a great way of following Christ. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. And on that note, we celebrate those victories together as a family. So, RJ, I'm going to ask you come up. I'm not crying, you're crying. Not about that. Presenting RJ with his certificate of baptism. And to us as a congregation, as we all know, baptism is the public profession of faith. But it's also our responsibility to RJ that we continue to watch him and grow with the family and help them grow as a family in Christ. Amen. And we're on a good start. So, so before we leave today, come and... Uh, welcome him and congratulate him on his decision because now he's officially a member of the church. I goofed on that, guys. I apologize. Okay? So, so he is official with the rest of the family as members of the church. Uh, family, you can come up with him. Yeah, where is Aiden? But we're happy to have them. They're already serving. They're already growing. It's... It's amazing what the Lord can do when we allow him to do what he does best. So let us pray. Dismiss. Come and 
thank them for their decision. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time together today. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have given us the tools and the weapons to fight this spiritual warfare. That we're allowed to go out into the world and proclaim that you are the king. You are alive. And Christianity is alive and well. Lord, thank you so much that you receive the victory in all this. We are just mere vessels. But Lord, we relish the opportunity to speak to others on your behalf and further your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, again for our time and keep us safe as we leave here today. And Lord, we just love you and thank you. And it's in your name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.